Amen, amen. Well, good morning, church. I hope you're doing well today. If you don't know me, my name's Billy, and I get the privilege to share, uh, to, to be uh, and serve as one of the pastors here, and that's a huge privilege and honor for me uh, to get to do that. Um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to 2 Corinthians. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is where we'll be this morning. Uh, we've been in a series called Be the Church this year where we've been walking through uh, the first and second book of uh, the Corinthians. And so Paul has this history with the Corinthian church where he not only planted this church, not only led them to Christ, uh, but has also been involved in their discipleship and their growth for uh, quite some time now, a number of years. And uh, 2 Corinthians, he has really been pouring out his heart for this church. And last week we talked a lot about repentance. Finally, uh, there was good news out of Corinth after the running from God and, and straying away from Paul. Uh, finally, they had come to a place of repentance. Titus informed us uh, on his visit there that they had turned back to God. Uh, they had made some great decisions. Uh, they had began to walk in obedience. And Paul was very encouraged um, and excited about that. And so now, in chapter 8, he turns the page and now begins to talk to them on the topic of giving and generosity, right? Giving and generosity. And here's a disclaimer. Um, I know anytime the Bible talks about money or preachers talk about money, uh, a lot of people get uncomfortable very fast. Uh, but I want you to know, uh, we've already taken up the offering, so you can relax. I'm not uh, coming back for a love offering at the end. I'm not trying to do anything other than uh, hopefully as a church open our hearts and our ears to the word of God on this topic of giving uh, and generosity. Because here's the reality, either in your life, uh, you hold the world's view of money, or in your life, you hold God's view of your money. And as a Christian, a huge part of our discipleship is for God to begin to transform every area of our life. The gospel really does change everything about us. And one of the areas that it changes the most is our view of money. And my prayer uh, is that our church would reflect Jesus in the area of generosity. Generosity is one of the four cultures that we want to characterize our church. When people think about Connection Church in Vidalia, my hope and my prayer is that they would say, man, they are a generous church. They're a generous church with their time. They're a generous church with their talent and service. And they're a generous church uh, with their money. They love God and they love to help people. And so 2 Corinthians 8, if you got it, open it, and uh, we'll start in verse 1, and we'll just kind of walk through it for the majority of our time. It's 24 verses, but it's so good that uh, you really can't add much to it. So, so let's read. Verse 1, he says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Okay, he, remember, he's writing to Corinth, and he's writing to Corinth, from Macedonia. So he's encouraging Corinth and the Corinthian Christians about what's going on where he's at in Macedonia. He says, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty has welled up in rich generosity. That almost sounds like a contradiction when you, when you read it, but it's not. Verse 3. He says, for I testify that they, the Macedonians, uh, this would be the churches of Philippi, 
Berea and Thessalonica in the Bible would be those three churches. He says, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and then even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. And so we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, uh, to, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel, he's talking to the Corinthians now, since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love that we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. You see, Paul's heart here is to encourage the Corinthians in their giving or their generosity, and he points them to the example of the Macedonian Christians. And the Macedonian church in the New Testament, maybe in the entire Bible, is the best example that we get of what a generous church looks like. And so it's important that we learn from them. And I want you to listen to how Paul explains their generosity, the statements that he makes. He says, I want you to know about the grace that God has given them. And so Paul says that their generosity was a work of God's grace, that God's grace was at work in them, and they were motivated by Christ in their giving. They were compelled by Christ in their giving, and their giving was an overflow of God's grace at work within them. I want you to write this down. Saved people are generous people. Saved people that love Christ, that know who Christ is and what Christ has done for them and that are growing in that understanding are generous people. To not be a generous person is to literally be a walking contradiction of the Christian faith. And then he goes on to say, in the midst of a very severe trial and extreme poverty, their joy overflowed and welled up in rich generosity. He says that their generosity wasn't dictated by their circumstances. It was an overflow of their joy in the Lord. And no circumstance can take that away from a person. Joyful Christians equal generous Christians. If we have joy in the Lord, we have a reason to be generous. I want you to write this down. Generosity is not a circumstance issue. It's a heart issue. And that's what Paul wants us to understand is that generosity, no matter if we have a lot of money or no matter if we have a little money, no matter if we're in a good circumstance where we have a lot of abundance or whether we are in a bad circumstance and we don't have much abundance at all. Generosity has nothing to do with our circumstances. It has everything to do with our heart. When our heart is right with Christ, we will be generous no matter what our circumstances are. Thirdly, he tells them, they gave as much as they were able and then even beyond their ability. I love this is my definition of what generosity is from Scripture. Paul says that they were above and beyond givers. Uh, they didn't just give uh, 10% or they didn't just tithe. They sacrificially gave above and beyond what their ability to give was. They were faith givers. They were willing to sacrifice 
even in their poverty, to bless, bless others and to be a part of what God was doing uh, in uh, the world around them with his brothers and sisters. Write this down. Sacrificial giving pleases God. Sacrificial giving pleases God. Do you remember what Jesus said about the widow in Luke 21? Let me remind you, Luke 21, verses one through four, as Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Think like two pennies. And then he, get, he says this, truly I tell you, Jesus said, this poor widow was put, has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she gave hers out of her poverty, and she put in all that she had to live on. You see, she was an over and beyond giver. She was a sacrificial giver. She was a faith-filled giver. She gave beyond her ability to the point where she was trusting God to provide for her in the midst of her generosity. This is the type of generosity that pleases God. The next thing Paul points out about the Macedonians is that they pleaded with us for the privilege to meet this need. Now, now you have to imagine being at a fundraiser at this point. Usually the way a fundraiser works is a leader or a, a representative from the organization stands up and they try to persuade you to give and to, to do all this. Uh, the begging, uh, really the person on stage is doing more of the persuasion and the begging for people uh, to give, but not in Macedonia. Paul shows up in Macedonia and it says they were begging him to give and be a part of what God was doing uh, with the church uh, in Jerusalem and what he was taking up the offering for. G giving was truly a privilege to them. They were blessed to be a part of what God was doing in the, wor in the world. Write this down. Giving is a blessing, not a burden. If giving is a burden in your life, then your heart is not aligned with Christ. Giving is an opportunity uh, to be blessed by God. It's an opportunity to bless others. There is no forced giving in the Bible. There is no forced giving in the Bible. God says he loves a cheerful giver. He actually condemns the Pharisees uh, for giving in a legalistic manner. And this is what we have to be careful of as a church is, is, is we give consistently, you know, and, and, and this is something that my wife and I, I'd never ask you to do something that we don't do, and we give on a consistent basis. It's automatically set up. It comes right out of our bank account, but if I'm not careful, I will just consider that my giving for the time, right? I've, I got this set up. I'm giving, and I'm giving over and beyond, and I got it planned out, but God doesn't want giving to become legalistic in our life. There's a difference between faithful giving and legalistic giving. It says the Pharisees in Matthew 23 were tithing everything. They were tithing on their, 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 uh, their produce. They were tithing on their money. They were tithing on everything that they had, but their heart was not right. They were, they were not right with God. And it does us no good to give money if our heart is not right with God because God doesn't want our money. God doesn't need our money. He wants us and he wants our heart. And when he has our heart, our money will follow after that. But we have to get that order right if we want God to be pleased with what we are giving. And so uh, the next thing he tells us here is that they gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then to us. 
us, meaning the offering that he was taking up. He says, they were surrendered to God first. In other words, their yes was on the table. Their obedience was on the table. God, whatever, whenever. And because of this, when God gave them an opportunity to give through Paul's offering, their answer was already yes. Write this down. When God has our hearts, he'll have our wallets too. When God has my heart, he will have my checkbook. Like that's how the Christian faith works. You see, God doesn't need our money. He wants us. And when he has us, he will have our money. He had the Macedonians. They were surrendered. They were willing. They were, on, they were asking God, God, use us, use us, use us. And when he gave them the opportunity to bless others through generosity, uh, they were begging uh, to give. You know, there's a lot of different uh, views on what, why they were begging to give, but most people believe that Paul saw how much they were given in their poverty, and he was like, hey guys, hey, there's other churches that are given to this. Y'all don't like kill yourself. I mean, you gotta eat, you know? Like, I mean, y'all are in a terrible situation. You're in poverty yourself. Like, don't give everything you have. You need to eat a little bit and take care of your families. And, and, and they're back and forth in a battle. And the Macedonians are like, hold on, dude. Like, we're gonna give because we wanna give. You can't tell us what to do. And so they're in a back and forth battle of, of how to give. Can you imagine somebody arguing with you to give more and more? This is what the Macedonians were doing with Paul. And then Paul ends it by saying, in all this, they've exceeded my expectations. The Macedonians' heart and generosity honestly blew Paul away. And he knew only Christ could produce the type of generosity that he was seeing among the Macedonians. And then verse six, Paul moves on to the Corinthians and kind of turns the table. He says, so we urge Titus, remember Titus had just come from Corinth, he had kind of become uh, the pastor down in Corinth. He says, so we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, uh, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge, in complete earnestness and in the love that we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. So we see he's used the Macedonian church to encourage the Corinthians in their giving. Verse 8, I'm not commanding you, again, no forced giving in the Bible, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others, with your brothers and sisters in Macedonia. So Paul wants the Corinthians to excel in the grace of giving. He says, since you're already excelling in everything else, I mean, he's bragging on them there. He says, you guys are already excelling in faith and speech and knowledge and earnestness. Now see to it, be intentional about excelling in the grace of giving. Why be intentional? Why is he using that language? Well, because naturally, we're the exact opposite. Naturally, when it comes to giving, if we are walking in our flesh, it, it, our time and our talents, are maybe we're okay to give those things, but when someone begins to talk about our money or ask for our money, the human disposition is to say, no, this is my money. I want to do with it what I want to do it. It honestly is the condition of all of our hearts apart from Christ. But then he says, I'm not commanding you. Keep this in mind, but I'm testing you. Paul turns it to a heart issue and says, I'm not commanding you to give anything. I just want you to know that your generosity is a reflection of your heart because that's what Christian giving is about. 
It's not about someone forcing you to give. The motivation of Christian giving comes from the heart. It's a worship issue. It's a response to God. So when we give as a church, we give out of a response to the gospel and what God has done for us. And Paul teaches us three very important things here. If you want to write them down, the first is that giving is a grace. Giving is a grace. The second is that giving is a test. And the third is that giving is a growth opportunity. All of these things are in there. Giving is a grace, meaning that it is compelled by the grace of God. This is why he uses the language, the grace of giving. It's an expression of God's grace at work in us. Behind the generosity of the Macedonians, Paul saw the grace of God at work in their hearts and in their lives. This is why we always say here at our church, it's the gospel that produces generous people. Anytime generosity overflows from our lives, it is the work of God in our lives because naturally sin in us is selfish and selfish people are not generous people. It's actually the exact opposite. And ultimately, it's impossible to experience the gospel, the good news of what Christ has done for us, the grace of God in the person of Jesus Christ coming from heaven to earth, which Paul is about to talk about, and giving his life as an offering on our behalf to give us uh, the greatest treasure ever and not become like the God who's done that for you. To be a Christian is to become more and more like Christ. Christ is the most generous person to ever walk the face of the earth. Secondly, giving is a test, remember? Meaning, testing reveals something about us. That's why you test someone. What do you know? I'm gonna give you a test to reveal what you know. Well, here, testing reveals something about us uh, when it comes to giving. Giving is a test that reveals our hearts. This is why Jesus talked about money more than anything else in the New Testament during, his, uh, in, during the Gospels. He talked about money more than faith. He talked about money more than hell, more than heaven. Go Google it. I'm telling you, it's in there. He talked about it because he knew money has an indicator on it of our heart. That's what it shows. Jesus himself said, where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. Follow your money and you'll find your heart. If you have a food addiction, your money will show it. If you have a lottery addiction, your money will show it. If you have a hunting addiction, your money will reveal that. If you have a shopping addiction on Amazon or Target, your money will track you right to it. If you love your kids and your grandkids, your money will show it. You wanna know where your heart is, just go to your bank statement, follow the paper trail, and it will show you where your heart is. When you follow your money, you will always find what you love the most. This is what giving as a test means in our life. Not only is giving a grace and not only is it a test, but it's a growth opportunity. A growth opportunity meaning it's part of our basic discipleship as a believer. Most of the time, you don't get radically saved and then radically become a generous person. Usually when you get saved, you've kind of already made some bad decisions with your money, specifically if you get saved as an adult, but if you get saved young, you can obviously start, but giving, in a lot of ways, is a basic discipleship issue as a believer. Do you see what Paul does when in his language? He says he's pointing them to areas that they have grown in in Corinth. He says, hey, when it comes to faith, you guys are growing. 
Like you're believing God like you've never believed him before. When it comes to your speech, man, you're encouraging people. You're building up people. You're not tearing others down. You're growing. When it comes to your knowledge, you're, you're learning more about the scriptures and the truth than you ever have before. When it comes to your earnestness, man, it's complete. You guys are passionate. You love God and you show it in your attitude in the way that you serve. But then he says when it comes to giving and generosity, it seems like there's an opportunity for you guys to grow there. Sometimes it's easy to think of giving differently than we think of other areas in our faith. You know, when we think of spiritual growth naturally, we think about prayer and we think about Bible study and we think about serving or we think about sharing the gospel and evangelizing someone or maybe jumping into a connect group or becoming a member of the church. And a lot of times we compartmentalize our giving and generosity, but that's not what Paul is wanting us to do here. You know, we don't naturally think about giving as an area to grow in, but Paul's telling the Corinthians to see giving as a growth opportunity uh, here, and it's important that we see it that way as well. It's a grace, it's a test, and it's a growth opportunity. And then he goes to the ultimate source of our generosity in verse nine. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. He's given them the ultimate example of generosity in the gospel, in the incarnation of Christ. And ultimately the most generous person to ever walk the face of the earth is Jesus. That's what Paul is showing us. Paul says, man, he was rich in heaven. He had all the riches and the comforts of heaven, but he chose for our sake to become poor. So that through his poverty and coming to earth, we might become rich. He left the comfort and riches of heaven to live a life of suffering on this earth, to die a death on a cross that he didn't deserve to die, all so that you and I could receive the greatest treasure ever, which is salvation. Christ was the most generous giver ever. Literally, his whole life on earth was an offering. And this is our posture. This is what God wants to grow us to where literally we think of our entire life as an offering. Do you remember in, those, in, in Philippians and, and a couple other books that Paul wrote, he said, I'm pouring my life out like a drink offering. Like this is how God wants us to begin to think about our lives as, as an offering to God. We are presented our, our members, our, our life, everything about us is presented to God for his use in the world. It's the exact opposite of living for ourselves, and this is what God is wanting uh, for the Corinthians, and Paul is wanting too. And simply put, the best way to say it is we cannot outgive God. <laughs> like, it, we cannot. We will constantly be in a growth pattern towards becoming more and more like Christ. But here's the reality, to grow spiritually is to become more like Jesus, and to become more like Jesus is to become a more generous person, not just with our finances, but with our time, with our talents. Every part of us grows in generosity as we grow in our relationship with God. Verse 10, and here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Okay, so Paul's getting specific here. What matter is he talking about? Well, he's talking about a specific situation He's talking about this offering for the Christians in Jerusalem who are experiencing a famine. 
And he says, last year you were the first not only to give to this offering, but also to have the desire to do so. So now finish this work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. So here's the situation. The Corinthians started out strong towards this offering for the believers in Jerusalem, but then they fizzled out. You know, Paul is encouraging them to finish what they've started. They made a commitment, so now finish the commitment, and Paul's encouraging them. Uh, we're not sure. It doesn't tell us uh, if they committed to give a certain amount or if they committed to give a certain percentage. We don't really know what Paul's talking about here. It made me think of our 1-8 commitments. If you made one of those where we committed to give over three years and uh, we, we committed to give based on sacrificially our, a proportion, but obviously Paul is not satisfied with what the Corinthians had given, and so he's challenging them. So Paul encourages them to give proportionately, and this is important for us to understand as Christians, meaning giving in proportion to what you have. Right, so all of our giving won't look the same. Sacrificial giving for me may not look like your sacrificial giving, and your sacrificial giving may not look sacrificial in, in my eyes. That's not the important thing. The important thing is that we're giving in proportion to what we have. The Corinthians' offering should have been more than the Macedonians because we know the Macedonians were poor and they were in a tough situation seems to me, Paul doesn't say this, but that the Macedonians had given more than the Corinthians. And the Corinthians were wealthy. They had a lot of industry, bigger town, bigger city, more wealthy church body, and the Macedonians were essentially out giving them. And Paul is like, hey, you guys encouraged the Macedonians on the front end, now allow their generosity to encourage you to complete the task of giving to this offering. And Paul wants the Corinthians to rekindle that willingness and that sacrificial attitude that they had started with. But apparently through all the drama that was going on in the Corinth where they were kind of sliding into sin, that their heart had drifted away from Jesus. And when our heart drifts away from Jesus, guess what follows? Our generosity, because our generosity is linked to our heart. And this is what had happened in Corinth as their generosity had drifted as their heart from God had drifted. So now Paul's encouraging them to allow this repentance from the last chapter, chapter seven, repentance, a change of heart, a change of mind, a change of action, now back to God to refresh their generosity. And many times this is what happens is when we repent and get right with God, generosity becomes the overflow of our heart right out of that repentance. And so it's important to understand that and it's important what Paul is trying to do. To complete what they started, they started strong, so Paul's saying, let's finish the drill. Verse 13, our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality or fairness, some translations say. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality, as it is written. The one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have 
too little. That's a quote from, from Exodus when, when, the, uh, when the Israelites had, had come into the wilderness and God provided the manna. So it's a quote that we are to depend on God for our provision. So notice the word equality in there. This has the idea of the church meeting specific needs through giving. So fairness or equality, what he's talking about is when one church has much and another doesn't, we should work together to help supply the needs of our brothers and sisters. In this particular case, it was the Christians in Jerusalem who had a real need. They were experiencing a famine. I don't know if you've never had, uh, if you've had no money and no food, but that's a pretty desperate situation. You don't eat, you don't live, right? God wants to use his church to supply this need. In his name. So it's like, hey, church, we got you. Some of the other people of God have given on behalf of God to help you. It's a, it's a blessing from God when the church gets to meet needs in this way. And so Paul says, let's meet their needs. There are brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's do for them what we would want them to do for us if we were in their situation. And, and this is the posture uh, of giving. Listen, love God, love others Love others as you would love yourself. Like this is the mindset of, uh, listen to 1 John. John says it best in 3, 17 and 18. 1 John 3, 17 and 18. He says, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words. Talk is cheap or speech, but with actions and in truth. Let's love in action and truth. And this is so relevant for us today. We live in a very prosperous country where most of us would be included in the top 10 to 15% of wealth in the world solely because we live in this country and this country is so prosperous. But with, with the blessing of God comes the responsibility of God. And we have an incredible opportunity as wealthy people, as a wealthy church, to be channels of God's grace to the broken and needy world around us. To not only meet needs, but to send missionaries with the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. And that's what Paul wants for the Corinthians. Is he's saying, hey, you guys have some pretty good circumstances God's blessed you with material wealth, so now let's use your abundance to supply their need. In our abundance, may we be a church, along with the Corinthians, that meets the needs of others and takes the gospel to the ends of the earth. We did this not too long ago with Ukraine. Do you remember the offering we were able to take up for Ukraine and send almost $20,000 because of one offering to them? It's an incredible opportunity to be the hands and feet of God. And you, the, people, the believers in Ukraine may not ever know who we are, but you know what they know? When trouble hit, the people of God showed up. And that's all we care about. We don't care if they know the name of Connection Church. We care if they know God is with them and for them, and we are too. That's the picture of Christian generosity. Verse 16, thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus, again, Titus is kind of their pastor, the same concern I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he is coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. So Paul's getting ready to send Titus back to Corinth from Macedonia before he travels down. He says, and we are sending along with him the brother 
This is no name number one. We don't get his name, but he's a brother who is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. This guy's a very good preacher, so to speak. Verse 19, what is more is that he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering which we administer in order to honor the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. So the church selected this brother to go and be a part of this offering. Verse 21, or verse 20, he says, we want to avoid any criticism of the way that we administer this liberal gift, for we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of man. In addition, we're sending with them our brother, this is brother number, no name brother number two, who has often proved to us in many ways that he is zealous. Now, even more so because of his great confidence in you, as for Titus, he is my partner and coworker among you. And as for our brothers, they are representatives of the churches and honor and an honor to Christ. Therefore, show these men the proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you so that the churches can see it. So now Paul moves kind of into some housekeeping details. If you're not careful, you'll get lost in them. But I think you can see this in there. Anytime you're dealing with money, there's natural suspicion and skepticism. And that's not just us. That's everybody, right? When you're giving an offering to someone, you should ask, who's getting it and where is it going? Like, that's an important thing. And so Paul wants them to know uh, exactly to put their minds at ease. He says, on one hand, I'm sending some trustworthy men to take up this offering. Not only are they trustworthy to you, but they've been and proved themselves to be trustworthy men with the other churches. And then on the other hand, Paul wants the Corinthians, who have just encouraged Titus uh, as he came up to see Paul in Macedonia, he's sending them so that the Corinthians can encourage these men in their faith and in their love and in their generosity. Basically, he's saying, hey, I'm sending my boy Titus and I'm sending two other guys. Hey, don't let me down, please. Like, you can almost see Paul's heart like, hey, I'm sending them down there. They're expecting to take up a big offering. Don't sandbag on me. Come through on what we talked about while I was there later. So Paul's plan again from here, is to travel down to Corinth for his third visit to them and then go to Jerusalem and give this offering to the needy believers there. So that's the end of chapter eight. So what are we gonna do with that? We got 15 minutes to do it. So here we go. So here's what I wanna do today. Honestly, you've already got all the meat and potatoes of the chapter and of the giving. I think the one question that we can ask ourselves from this chapter is the same encouragement that Paul is giving the Corinthians, and that's this question. How do we excel in the grace of giving? Like, that's what Paul's after. He wants the Corinthians to excel in the grace of giving. Why does he want them to excel in the grace of giving? Because the grace of giving is one of the greatest ways to display the grace and love of Christ into our world. And so he wants them to excel in this. So the question is not why. We know why because it's, it's, it's who God is. And if we want to show others God, then we have to be generous people. And it's the work that the Spirit of God does inside of us. So the question for us is not why. The question is how do we begin to grow into this as Christians? Well, a couple things I think we see in here that can help us. The first one is this. How do we grow and excel in the grace of giving? The first is we have to look to Christ. We have to look to Christ. Christ is the beginning and the end of generosity. Generosity is not one of those things where you pull up your bootstraps and just start 
throwing money to everything, right? That, that, it, it, that can happen with benevolent people maybe, but at the end of the day, true Christian generosity begins with the heart of Christ. Because it's not just about giving money for personal gain or giving money to show off, it's about giving money in a way that pleases God with the attitude that God wants us to give. Christ is our source in this. Like he, it's the spirit of God, the grace of God at work in our life uh, that produces this. We see this in the life of Zacchaeus. Do you remember the story of Zacchaeus where Zacchaeus was a tax collector? He was cheating people out of their money. He had basically betrayed his, all of his family and friends to make more money in life left his hometown, began to work for the enemies, tax collecting, taking up money, anything over the tax that, that he could get, he got for himself. He became a very wealthy man. And then he met Christ. You remember he climbed up in a tree, Jesus came in, Jesus said, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. They go meet. Do you remember what happened after Zacchaeus got saved? Immediately what happened? He said, I wanna give back four times the amount that I've taken from everybody that, I, that I've stolen from. Immediately, it went from stingy, I'll do anything for money, I'm ensnared and enslaved to money, to now money has no more hold on me, I'm gonna give it all away. Like this is the picture, and you can almost, um, you can compare and contrast that with the rich young ruler, which is another story where Jesus asked the rich young ruler to give up everything that he has and give it to the poor and then come and follow him. And because money had a hold on his heart and Jesus wasn't the source of his life, he couldn't do it. And it says he walked away sad because he wasn't willing to do what God had asked him to do. Christ is the source of Christian generosity. Not only is he the source, but he's our example. Like Jesus is the model of generosity for us in our life. And his motto was this, it is more blessed to give than receive. Jesus himself said this, that it's more blessed to give than receive. He was the man who gave his life. He became poor so that we could become rich. And as we follow his example, it will lead to generosity in our lives. It's impossible to follow Jesus and, not, and become a less generous person. Not only is he a source and example, but he's our sustainer. Our sustainer. Following Jesus is hard, being a generous person is a battle. You know, it's, it's like every step that Kate and I have taken towards generosity, I feel like God takes us a little bit further. You know what I mean? It's like, a, it's like all right, you, you gave this last year, so hey, you wanna grow this year, right? And, and that's the sense is when you're, you're like, God, I don't know if I can do that, you know? And uh, I was, I don't know if I was dumb enough or, or, or zealous enough, but when we first started, we first got married, we committed to give 10% of our income. And that wasn't that big of a deal. Most of us in this room know the tithe. That's where we want to start. You know, tithing's an Old Testament principle, but it's not a bad principle. You know, it's, it's a good principle to protect us and to bless us that God uses. But really, in the New Testament, God calls us to, to more, you know, because now we have the Spirit of God in us, which leads to more Spirit-led and sacrificial giving. And so, I take that to mean that 10% is kind of the floor of generosity in our lives. So that's where we started. And we set out on a quest to increase our giving by 1% every year that we were married. All right, so we got married in 2013, right? So now we're in 2022. So that means we're at 19% giving, right? You start getting to that number and it starts to be hard. 
right? It's like, good night. What are we going to cut this year to, to, to be able to give what we want to give? And some of that's probably my own stubborn, strong-willed. I'm not saying that that's your example and you don't need to do that. You start where the Lord leads you to start. But at the end of the day, I've trusted God as our sustainer, and guess what? He sustained us. Like, we've been able to continue to grow in this area of our life, and God has made a way, and he's provided where we are. And I do not want us to become like the Corinthians, and I don't want you to become like the Corinthians, where maybe you start out strong, and maybe you were given a lot when you first got saved, but now you've kind of, ah, man, things have gotten tough. You start having kids. You start buying houses. You start buying a car. You start getting more opportunities, and you become less generous and more invested in the world. And God said, and Paul's telling the Corinthians, hey, guys, you started strong, but you faded. Let's, let's, let's be intentional about excelling in this grace of giving. So here's my question. Is your giving an overflow of your relationship with God? Is it an overflow? Do you go to God and say, Lord, I wanna grow, I wanna give in a way that reflects you. Will you lead me in this? How do I do this? What does this look like in my life? What does the scripture say about this? Secondly, we can learn from the Macedonians. We can learn a lot from the Macedonians. I'm just gonna give you three things specifically that we can learn. The most generous church in the entire uh, Bible, and there's three specific things that I want us to do as a church from them. One, I want us to adopt their definition of generosity. Their definition of generosity is, is, is literally this. They gave as much as they were able and then even beyond their ability. They gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. The Macedonians were above and beyond givers. My heart for our church is that we would be sacrificial givers. Not only you giving to the church, but as a church that we would do the same thing that we would sacrifice here as a church so that we can give and supply needs in the community, in the world, send out missionaries, all these things, because that is what God uh, tells us about the Macedonians, that we would be faithful uh, givers. Secondly, that we would adopt their attitude towards generosity. Their attitude, they saw it as a privilege to give. It was a, a blessing to share in the work of God. Literally, Paul was like, hey guys, that's enough. And they're like, no, 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 Paul. You shut your mouth, buddy. You know you're an apostle and all. But hey, God told us to do this. We're willing to do this. What a statement, what an attitude. The grace of God was overflowing from them. Their generosity was not circumstantial. It was the joy of the Lord welling up in rich generosity. I pray that that would be our hearts as a church. Thirdly, that we would adopt their heart posture toward God. It says they were surrendered. They gave themselves to God, and then they gave themselves to other things. And, and generosity was one of the things that overflowed out of their surrender uh, to God. Their yes was on the table to whatever and whenever, including their finances. And many times our money is the last thing that we want to surrender to God. It's always the last thing to come when people get saved and the first thing to go when people are leaving your church. And that's, that's, the, that's the routine. So you can follow your heart. It's hard to trust God with your money because one of the areas that we like to control is our money. We feel like it gives us control and one of the things God asks us to do is to give that up and say, hey, God, not only do you get 10%, you get all 100. And I'm gonna become a steward of your money and I wanna do this the way you've called me 
to do this. And so here's my question. Is your yes on the table when it comes to your giving and your generosity? If you can't trust God with your money, then you can't trust him at all. And then lastly is this. Take next steps. That's as practical as it can get. You have to take next steps. If you want to excel in the grace of giving, we have to be willing to take next steps. Growing people change. Growing people take next steps. You cannot grow in your relationship with God if you're not willing to change. And so I don't know where you're at today. I, I don't know if you're in the room and you say, Billy, man, I, I, I'm a giver. I'm generous. We're giving and we're sacrificially giving over and beyond uh, our, our tithes and offerings and we're helping people and we're doing everything we can. We're planning to be generous in our life. Or whether you're in here and you're like, Billy, we're struggling, man. We can't even make ends meet. Or maybe you're in here and you, you've drifted away from God. And because you've drifted away from God, your, your finances have drifted and your giving has drifted as well. Or maybe you're in here and you say, Billy, I've never even heard that the Bible tells me that I need to be given towards the church. All of those different situations has a next step. Every person in this room has a next step. I, I don't know what yours is. Maybe it is to sit down and begin to plan to be a generous person. Like we know God's called us to, so why not sit down with a budget and say, hey, let's not live outside of our means and buy the biggest house and the, and the best cars and spend all this money on things of this world when we could sacrifice some of this stuff so that we could be more generous towards eternal things. Or, or maybe you're here and you'd say, man, I've never consistently given to any gospel ministry. Well, well this morning, I'd invite you to, to become a faithful, consistent giver. And you can do that towards the church. Listen, there's tons of incredible opportunities to give towards gospel ministry. Or maybe there's somebody in your life right now that through this message, God's put on your heart. And you know they have a need. I was talking to Kate the other night and uh, we have this couple that, that we care about and love and, and they're, they're young, they just got married and they're having a baby and they, they really are, are broke, to be honest with you. And, and they, you know, they don't have a lot of money. And I'm like, Kate, I'm worried about them. You know, like I, I wanna help them. Like God just keeps putting them on my heart. What, what do you wanna do? She's like, well, let's just feed them. Like we can't give them a lot of money. We don't have a lot of money, but we can, we can feed them. And so we just invite them over for dinner all the time. Like, hey, come on, come on, eat. Let's go eat, eat, whatever. And so maybe that's your next step. Whatever it is, it's just, hey, see whatever it is and say, Lord, give me opportunities to give. Listen, there's a statement that our pastor in Statesboro used to always tell me. He said, Billy, you need to listen to God and do what he tells you to do. In the New Testament, this is how generosity works. Listen to God. Pray for opportunities. Allow him to lead you when you get that urge or when you get that prompting from the Spirit to give. Even when you look at your bank account and it's like, man, if I give, I'm probably not gonna be able to eat. Don't miss the opportunity for God to provide when he's led you to do something. You have to step out of your comfort zone and your control zone and step into the realm of faith when it comes to generosity. And when you do, the way God answers on the other side of that will definitely lead you to trust God more than ever. Because there's not an area of my life that's led me to trust God more than the area of trusting him with my money. And I pray that God would do the same thing for you this morning. So right where you are, I want you to bow your head. So Father, my prayer this morning, God, is that we would become
a church a lot like the Macedonians. And God, I know that starts with individuals in this room and on this stage. So God, I don't know what next steps need to happen this morning, but God, I know there's a next step. So Lord, I pray, God, for the person in this room that doesn't know you, God, that their next step would be salvation. You don't ask for our money before you ask for our heart. God, we can't buy your grace and buy your love. It's a free gift and you've given that to each of us. So Lord, I pray that as we walk and live out of this salvation, this free gift, that we would become generous people and that you would be reflected in the way that we give and we meet the needs of people around us. So Father, that's my prayer this morning. God, would you lead us and guide us in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, would you stand and sing?